Uh, good evening. We'll turn again, please, to the letter to the Romans and reading in chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. <clears throat> now, I'm not going to try and cover the whole chapter tonight. You'll be glad to hear. Um, I just really want to deal with the first seven verses, uh, which relate to, I suppose you could say, the Christian's relationship with civil authority. And that's what the subject is going to be tonight. And I hope we're going to see that this is not just something that we can say, well, this is our duty, this is what we should do. But we're going to see, as I think we've seen already, that being a believer in Christ affects every department of my life. It starts with my individual response. It comes out, as we've been hearing uh, so uh, challengingly this afternoon, to affect every relationship. And it affects the relationship the believer has with the state. And we're going to think about that tonight. I want to use this as a kind of launching pad, so we might refer to other scriptures as well. But we're really trying to just grasp what our relationship to the powers that be should be. And how that this is elevated by the Apostle Paul in this letter to something very spiritual. It's not just something we have to do. This is a spiritual duty. And it's the mark of one who has been... Uh, surrendered, consecrated to Christ. So let's read the first seven verses. Romans 13. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers or authorities. There is no authority but from God. The powers that be are ordained by God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation or judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues tribute to whom tribute is due, Custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honour to whom honour. Now the next section, just look at verse 8. Owe no man anything. In other words, Paul's moved on now from what is due to the rulers to a general duty to everyone. I think there's a connection with the next section, although we're not going to deal with it. It's the great law of love that fulfils, we've been hearing about this. But this is in a more general sense, I think. It undergirds our relationship with the state. We are to be marked by love. Owe no man anything but to love. We have a duty. And then look at verse 11. The second or the last section of the chapter. Knowing the time. And so Paul, I don't want to deal with that section. But all, all I want to say is this. That this relationship with the state. is against the background of our general duty to act with love toward all men. And it is in the light of the fact that the Lord is almost here. 
And it's in the light of dispensational truth that we take this position. We're going to see that tonight. So I want to read a couple of other uh, passages been referred to already today. First Timothy, please. First Timothy chapter 2. We're going to just uh, try to tackle this in, in, in a bit of a broader way. First Timothy 2, and this is a familiar passage, verse 1. I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. And then over please to First Peter. First Peter. Uh, chapter 2 and verse 13. 1 Peter 2.13 Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness but as the servants of God honour all men love the brotherhood fear God honour the king Amen it seems strange to be able to say that in the United Kingdom and uh, not to change it to the Queen honour the king well I, I hesitate to make any predictions for 2023, <laughs> but, but looking back on the trends of 2022, I, I give you two predictions which may or may not take place. I think that 2023 is going to be a year of activism. I'm speaking about the world generally. I'm speaking about our country, our society. It's a year when people are more and more involved in activism. And secondly, I think it's going to be a year as seems to be the case these days when the state is going to reach further and further into our private lives. I think these are trends that we've seen possibly developing in the past and I think are going to be continuing into this coming year. And I really have this in my heart uh, today because against the background of the kind of society we live in, what is the Christian's relationship to the state? And we're going to look at this in three ways. I want to think first of all of the positive duties that we have towards the state. And then we're going to think of when it is right to disobey the state. And then thirdly I want to close with um, acknowledging uh, that there are grey areas. Uh, when I was younger... Uh, of course my hair was black and I saw everything in black and white but now my hair is grey I, I see sometimes there are grey areas and there are grey areas when it comes to our relationship with the state and so in the final part of this message tonight I would like to just point out I think some principles that guide us because you see somebody says well listen you know no democracy when Paul was writing here we are, we can vote, we can, we, can, we can be involved in politics in a big way. And it is absolutely true that you'll get no 
statement in scripture about voting and stuff like this but there are principles in the Bible that I would suggest to you we've got to take on board and apply them to any interaction we have with the state so let's look at that the duties that we have clear and straight in scripture the times when it is right and proper to disobey the state and thirdly the principles that we can apply from the Bible to our interaction with these civil authorities. I hope it doesn't sound too dull. I will try and uh, make it a bit more interesting as we go along. The duties that we have according to scripture, we've read uh, in three passages, and I just want to point out there are, there are three duties. First of all, there is the duty of submission. Secondly, there is the duty of support. And thirdly, there is the duty of supplication. So we're going to think about that. First of all, the duty of submission. We find this in our passage in Romans chapter 13, uh, verses 1 to 5. It's the duty of the believer in Christ to be subject, to submit to the authorities. Listen to how he begins. Let every soul... <laughs> that's, that's very wide ranging that's very wide, there are no exceptions to this, nobody can claim that I'm a special case, Paul is saying let every soul be subject to the higher powers if you read the passage you'll find that not only is it wide ranging in the sense that this is a duty that falls on every believer but it is a duty that is due to every kind of power the only qualification Paul gives, it's the power that exists at that time. It's the powers that be. What I mean by that is that some believers say, well, you know, if you live under a tyranny, if you live uh, under, under uh, some ideology, if you live, then you, this doesn't apply. This is only applicable when the state and the rulers are good and moral and not corrupt. And when they're doing things according to the word of God, and when they're right, and when, they're, when the judgments are right, and the rules are right, then submit to them, but otherwise you don't need to do that. Paul says, this is a blanket statement. Every soul, you've got to submit to the powers that be. That's a very... Uh, Nice expression. The authorities that be. The authorities that exist. You see, we find ourselves, uh, there may be from other nationalities here, we find ourselves under governments that differ in their outlook and their ideologies, but every single one of us can say, well, this is the power that exists in my society. And the clear and unmistakable duty that we have, and we'll get on to the reasons why in a minute, we have a duty so to submit we have a duty so to submit and to be subject to the powers that exist. Now let's just think for a moment of the background. Paul is writing to the Christians at Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire. Paul is writing when the Roman Caesar is the despotic Nero. You may not like the Prime Minister. You may not like the First Minister. You may really object to the people who are over us, but you don't have Nero to subject to, to be subject to. You don't need to submit to a man like Nero and the Roman authorities. Remember too, that Paul is writing as a Jew whose homeland is presently being occupied by the Roman powers. And yet, 
If Paul, writing as a Jew against this background, in these circumstances can say, listen, your clear duty is to be subject to the powers that be, then surely that must apply to us in the United Kingdom as well. There is nowhere in the Bible, in the New Testament, there is nowhere in the New Testament the suggestion that a Christian should be involved in trying to overthrow or change the state. There is no guidance given in the New Testament for Christians in position of governmental authority. Uh, this is not the time, brothers and sisters, and that's why I think it links with this whole chapter, the end of the chapter, knowing the time. I, I suggest very kindly that a lot of Christians in this particular regard are not cognizant of the time. The time in which we live. The era in which we live. This is not the era for trying to achieve change by political means. Knowing the time. And so in scripture the clear obligation, the duty that we have is to submit to authority. Now, just a little bit of church history, because I like it, and I'm sure you do too. A little bit of church history. I'm sure the date AD 313 is seared upon your mind. The Battle of Milvian Bridge. Uh, the Battle of Milvian Bridge. And you'll remember that the Emperor Constantine, on the eve of the battle, supposedly sees this vision. And he sees this symbol in the sky, which turns out to be a cross. And he hears the voice saying, by this sign conquer. And so he goes on the next day, he changes the, so the legend goes, he changes the insignia on the shields and on the weapons of his men to a cross, and they win a spectacular victory, the Battle of Milvian Bridge, AD 313, and suddenly Constantine is a Christian. Well, there are grave doubts about that, but the Lord knoweth them that are his. However, overnight, almost overnight, Christians went from being weak to being powerful. They went from being tolerated to being encouraged. They went from, from, from being persecuted to now occupying positions. You might say, this is wonderful, this is great. Brothers and sisters, it spelt absolute disaster for centuries to come and we're still living with the fallout today. It led to centuries of oppression and crusades and atrocities and did more to, um, to slander the name of Christ than the years up to 313 AD when Christianity was despised and persecuted and uh, we've got to take the lesson from history even men like uh, John Calvin who went about to establish in Geneva in the 1500s. You've got your history right at your fingertips, I know that. But around about the 1500s, he went to establish Geneva as a kind of holy state, as a kind of theocracy. And of course, all such attempts, although they might last for a while, they're doomed to failure. Brothers and sisters, our clear duty is submission to the powers that be. Now, there are some reasons for that. There are three reasons. First of all, he says there is no power but of God. In other words, all authority derives from God. All authority and power, he is the source. And so we go back to the book of Genesis, and we read in chapter 9, after the flood, how that God instituted human government. 
And God gave, in a delegated authority, he gave to human government the right to reward good and to punish evil. And someone has said that apart from salvation, the greatest common blessing that ever was given to, to, to mankind has been human government. It's the, it's the authority, the establishment of authority. Now it's been abused, it's been twisted, we understand, we, we, we're not uh, uh, discounting what man has done with that, but it's one of the gr Mankind in his fallen state needs government. Brothers and sisters, our God is a God who hates lawlessness. And uh, I was reading a book recently that said, any government is better than no government. Anarchy is ten times worse than bad government. And so God has instituted for the well-being of mankind there needs to be human government. He is the source of all authority. And also we read here the powers, the authorities that be, are ordained by God. And so not only is God the source of authority, but God has actively, or at least allowed, uh, men to take positions of power, and the powers that be are ordained by him. Now you go back to the Old Testament, you'll find men like Cyrus, uh, heathen, heathen uh, king, ruler, you'll find uh, Nebuchadnezzar, go back further you'll find Pharaoh. God had a, a, a reason for allowing these men, often very immoral, unjust, unrighteous men, he had a reason for allowing them to take the reins of government. And so Paul says, and, he's, and, and remember this, he's writing to Rome, and apparently the Jews in Rome were notorious for their uprisings against the state, against, against Rome. You can imagine how that would just... My brother's been talking about Scottish uh, national traits. And uh, we, we've got to hang our heads in shame, haven't we? But, uh, but uh, just remember this. that If you think we're oppressed at the moment, uh, uh, you think how the Jews felt in Rome. Uh, and it was natural to them to, to, to always be involved in plots and uprisings against the state. Paul wants to stamp on that in the church straight away. And he says, the powers that be are ordained of God. And not only that, but he speaks of them as uh, the ministers of God. He says that he is the minister of God uh, to thee for good. And so God is the source of authority. Uh, God has ordained these people to be over us. And these people actually function as ministers of God. And Paul says, if you're going to resist them, this is a very serious matter because you are actually resisting God. Have you ever thought of it like that? You'd like to get involved in some activism. You'd like to rebel against the state. Well, just remember this. The powers that be are ordained of God. He has placed them there. They are his ministers to reward the good and to punish the evil. And if you set yourself against them, you are resisting God himself. That's the way Paul puts it here. And he says, um, if you want to live without fear, then just obey the rules. That's basically what he's saying. And he says in verse 5, you must needs be subject not only for wrath, in other words, not just because you want to avoid punishment, but also for conscience sake. And so there are two reasons uh, why we should be submissive. Well, the reasons are that, of course, God is the source of authority and so on. But Paul is saying, if you get a speeding fine, there are two things you need to do. <coughs> One, you need to pay your fine. 
And secondly, you need to confess your sin. <laughs> we forget that bit, maybe. But really, Paul is saying there is wrath, there is punishment against evildoers, and there's your conscience as well. And if you if you if you if you stand against the state and break the laws of the state, you lay yourself open to punishment from the state, and you have offended your conscience by sinning against God. And so Paul is very clear on the duty of submission. Now we'll come back to this in a minute. There's a duty of support. Verses 6 to 8. He says, for this cause pay ye tribute also. You see, I can quite understand uh, theoretically be saying, well I'm subject to the state, but I don't uh, particularly like paying my taxes. Do you? Who likes paying their taxes? Well, this is the obligation laid upon the believer. Pay tribute. That's a direct tax. And then he talks about uh, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, which was an, un, an indirect tax. And basically he's saying this, and he uses a word here, for they are God's ministers, verse 6, that word means religious ministers. And he's looking back to the Old Testament, and he's saying that those that ministered in the temple and in the tabernacle, they were supported in their service. They were, they were, there was a, 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 an obligation for them to be financially supported. And Paul is saying, in the same way, those who uh, occupy positions of authority in the state have a right to be supported and Christians should pay their taxes. That's a happy message for 2023, but there we are. So we have to submit, we have to support, and then when we come to 1 Timothy chapter 2, just very briefly, we are... Uh, required to supplicate Paul says I will that supplications prayers, intercessions, giving of thanks and so on be made for all men for kings and for all that are in authority and the reason for that is this uh, twofold our brother mentioned already that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life for the maintenance of stable conditions brothers and sisters that's what we should be praying for the maintenance of stable conditions in our society and secondly I think hinted in this passage at least is the salvation of the rulers themselves because God will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth recently well a week while ago now uh, there was an election and uh, when I discovered who my MP was, I sent him an email. And uh, I wasn't complaining about the potholes, uh, but I sent him an email to tell him that I was praying for him. He sent me a very nice email back, but uh, that, that was it. But brothers and sisters, we have a duty. And Paul is really talking in 1 Timothy chapter 2 about public prayer. And, and I suppose it's against the background of the Christians being accused of being a sect that want to overthrow the state. And Paul is saying, listen, when some a government spy comes into your uh, prayer meeting, and hearing about the prayer meeting already today, when some government spy, I want you to make sure that when the brothers rise to pray, that as they're praying for various things, they pray for the king, they pray for those in authority, they, they pray for the rulers. And so, as Peter goes on to say in his passage that we read, uh, those who are seeking a cause against the Christians have nothing to say because they are subject to the rules, to the laws of the country, and they are praying for the well-being and blessing of the, those in authority. I hope you pray for your MP. Do you know who your MP is? I hope you pray for him anyway, or her, and I hope you pray for the rulers 
of our country because they certainly need our prayers. And so these are the positive duties that we have in our relationship with uh, civil authority. The duty of submission, the duty of support and the duty of supplication. That's all very clear. Now you say, well hold on a minute. Uh, what about when things go wrong? What about in communist uh, lands? What about um, when there are unjust things that are happening? Well, I want to talk now about when it is right to disobey. When it is right to invoke, as it were, civil disobedience. When it's right to disobey the civil authorities. And we discover, of course, in the book of the Acts, the classic passage when uh, Peter has been told and the other disciples, the other apostles, that they can't preach in the name of the Lord Jesus. They say very clearly, we ought to obey God rather than man. And so we have immediately this situation that arises where there is a tension between God established authority which was given with the limited powers I believe of rewarding good and punishing evil uh, just by the way I think politicians have completely overreached uh, in their in their rule making and their authorities the, 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 the legislation of the state is basically summed up in these two things to encourage good and to punish evil I think that's the basics but um, what happens when a, a, an authority that is, that is constituted and ordained by God to just do that comes in conflict directly with the word of God and the will of God. Well, Peter says there's no question. We ought to obey God rather than man. History is full of instances, even in our own country, where Christians have paid sometimes the ultimate price because they would not countenance submission to the state if it meant disobedience to God. I want to just suggest there are three categories where it is right for us to disobey the state. First of all, when the state asks us to do something that is unscriptural. And so we find in the book of the Acts, they are telling them not to preach. I know it's the religious authorities, but they're telling them not to preach in the name of Christ. And Peter uh, very clearly um, retorts that they will not obey that command. And so if, brothers and sisters, the government make a, make a rule that we've got to stop preaching uh, and that we can't meet together, we'll come on to lockdown in a minute, <laughs> we can't meet together, we can't carry out the functions of, of a local assembly, we can't witness freely, then we have to take the stand that we're prepared to disobey the state and we're going to obey scripture. So if it's unscriptural, we have the, the right, I believe, and the authority on the, the basis of scripture to disobey the state secondly if the state asks us or commands us to do something that is immoral and so this is very very up to date really because if the government were to issue an edict that all places of worship are compelled in some way to officiate that same sex marriages so called in that case that is something that is completely immoral and we would have to stand against that and disobey the state. These things may well um, seem far in the future, but they may not be too far away. Thirdly, if the state asks us to do something unscriptural, if the state demands that we do something immoral, and if the state demands that we do something that is unethical, 
And so if the state asks us to adopt and to promote ideologies that are currently being promoted in the world today that are unethical, then we have the right, I believe, according to scripture, to disobey, to withhold our submission to the state. Now let me just say straight away that this right, I think, should be used with great care and with great prayer. Uh, there are areas where certain uh, believers may feel that the state has transgressed and they have to take action to disobey. Just to give an example, the recent lockdown that we had, I suppose most assemblies took the view that uh, this was a public health issue uh, and this was applied without uh, discrimination to the whole population and the good citizenship demanded that we comply with lockdown. There were other Christians, other congregations who took a very different view, who said that in their view we are commanded to meet together. We're told not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together and so regardless of the consequences, regardless of the uh, public health issues, we must disobey. Now you can argue one way or the other. All I'm saying is that if you're going to disobey, do it with great care and with great prayer. Other issues that people were discussing recently, somebody was discussing this with me recently, what if, in our, in our company, what if a directive comes out that if somebody who has had some trans procedures wants to be addressed by a certain pronoun, how, how should a Christian react to that? Well, well, I would take the view that if the government are forcing us to, to uh, call somebody, uh, use a pronoun that doesn't reflect the absolute reality, my view would be, and you can disagree with me if you want, but my view would be you say, no, uh, sorry, I can't do that. I'm not, I'm not buying into a diabolical ideology. I'm not going to confirm that person in something that is totally wrong. And I'm not going to say that black is white. I'm going to say black is black. So... You can see, and maybe, maybe there are saints here and you've got a different view altogether, and you think, well, you just go along with it uh, for the sake of winning these people and so on. Well, there, there are different principles. What I'm trying to say is that this is not a very clear-cut area in some respects, and it needs to be exercised with extreme care and with prayer. So, you might say, well, here we are, that's quite clear. Generally, our duty is to submit. There are certain very clear and very black and white cases where we know that our duty is to disobey. Somebody might say to me, but wait a minute, <clears throat> now in our society we have opportunities to influence the state. We have opportunities to, to change legislation. We have opportunities to vote. We can get involved in a way that Paul possibly never dreamt of. We can get involved in... Of course, we must remember, it's not Paul that's writing this, really. It's God. It's the Word of God. But, but some people say, well, Paul knew nothing about this kind of democracy that we have. But God knew about it, of course. But um, uh, people say, well, should we be involved in some way in trying to influence... Somebody was saying to me recently that, well, of course, the believer is to be salt and light. Well, I said, stop there. <laughs> I don't think if you read the passage where the Lord Jesus spoke about salt and light, it's anything to do with politics. It's to do with your moral state. It's to do with living a godly life. You are salt and light, not by joining a political party and trying to influence them. You are salt and light by living a Christ-like life. And
and uh, somebody says, well, our citizenship is in heaven, our politics are in heaven. Uh, and uh, I must say that uh, you know that's that's where I would be coming from, and saying that well, really we're citizens of another country. Paul talks of himself as an ambassador. Uh, we, we're only passing through here. Uh, we, we we pay our dues. Uh, we give honour to those who require honour. We submit to authority, but we are not involved in the politics of our state because our citizenship is in heaven. Now that sounds quite clear cut, but then. Of course, Paul used very much his citizenship on earth uh, because there are a couple of times at least when he used the fact that he was a Roman citizen. Now, we'll we'll come on to this in a minute, so don't don't get too excited at the moment. But uh, he, he did use the fact that he was a Roman citizen to get the authorities to behave in a certain way. Now, we'll, we'll come on to that in a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm perhaps you might think I'm muddying the waters at the moment. <laughs> I hope not. But I, I'm just trying to convey to you, brothers and sisters, that if we think about this in detail, yes, the, 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 the main lines are clear. Submission to authority, disobedience, when it's something that disobeys God. But there is this area in between where I think we're going to hear tomorrow about um, Christian liberty and being persuaded and so on. And, and there is a kind of grey area. Uh, which we need guidance on, which I'm going to come on to in a moment. William Wilberforce, one of the great heroes. One of the great heroes. And, uh, of course, he was a parliamentarian. And he brought about the abolition of the slave trade. Wonderful. Why can't I get involved in politics and uh, and change? Why can't I stand up for something like that? Um, and you'll find, too, that some of the great... Christians of the past, some of the great evangelical Christians have been great social reformers as well and uh, I must say that when I get an email from the Christian Institute that says they've won another victory in the court there's something within me leaps and says that's great, that's fine and uh, uh, good has been done in our society by evangelical Christians and so people say well how, how can you possibly disengaged from politics how can, how can it be that you can possibly stand back when these great Christian organisations, great Christians have done so much in the past and have moulded our society and have done it sometimes through political means well that brings me on to my last section and you may get home early tonight, I don't know but I just want to point out some principles that if I'm thinking Yes, I agree, submit to the state. General, that's a general duty. Yes, I agree, disobey when I'm asked to disobey God. But what about the stuff in between? What about my involvement with the state? What about my interaction with the state? What about my trying to change the state? Uh, I know that believers who would not be interested in party politics would nevertheless be interested in standing for righteousness, standing for things that are right. Surely it's not wrong to do that. Well, let me give you seven. You might be here longer than you thought. <laughs> seven, seven principles, just very briefly. Seven things I ask myself, because I must admit, I'm tempted. 
you know, you see something comes up in social media or something, and oh, you're just itching, you're just itching to reply, you're just itching to get involved, you're itching to jump in there. And uh, I've been composing in my mind many an email to the MPs and so on, and then I, I just stand back and calm down. But here's the things that I ask myself. Number one, will it involve the unequal yoke? Now that's a biblical principle. Um, I don't know if you vote. I don't think, I know there are Christian parties and all that, I don't think there is any mainstream Christian party in this country I could vote for. Because if I did, I would be subscribing and putting in place ideologies and policies that are directly against the word of God. Now, I, I make no judgment about MPs who are Christians. You know, it's like the, the Christian Institute. We, we kind of rejoice to hear that so-and-so is an MP and he's a believer, or she's a, an MP and she's a believer. But brothers and sisters, I cannot for the life of me understand how that you can say that it's right to use ungodly vehicles of political parties that have, that have demonic policies to somehow promote the kingdom of God. I think it's fundamentally dishonest. And I think it's the unequal yoke. So if I'm tempted to vote for a political party, then I have to ask myself, am I promoting something? Am I yoking myself with something that a Christian should never be involved in? The second point I often ask myself is, is the final goal of this organization of movement scriptural achievable desirable in other words we can, we can have a knee jerk reaction to things without realizing what is the fundamental goal at the, end of the, at the end of the tunnel what is the goal of a Christian party is it to somehow have Christian government in the United Kingdom is that a good thing is it a good thing to try and wed religious and political power. I don't think it is. I don't think it is. So I'm going to ask myself, what is the end goal of this organization? Is it scriptural? Number three, will my involvement in politics or my engagement with the state distract me from evangelism? If it will, I should discard it immediately. Brothers and sisters, there is an immeasurable difference between trying to better the well-being of your fellow citizen and trying to bring them a message that will, that will have eternal consequences, that will deliver them from the wrath to come. There's no comparison. If you want to be an activist, get a bundle of tracts and start going around your neighbourhood. If anything, any involvement with the state, an interaction with the state, distracts me from the main purpose. This is our main purpose. Uh, I, I know I'm, I'm simplifying things. Of course, there are many purposes of our Christian lives. And of course, we're here for the honour and glory of God. But one of the fundamental things in terms of our relationship with people around is to reach some of the gospel. 
Number four, is it good stewardship of my time and my efforts and my energies? You know, as you get a bit older, I can speak with a certain uh, experience, but as you get a bit older, you realise just how short your life is. <laughs> Young people, you know, you look ahead and you think you've got years and years and years and you have, but it, it just seems to be, there's plenty of time for everything. And suddenly, bang, the whole thing is moving at a tremendous speed. And before you realise what it is, you're getting emails now about your, about your pension, about your retirement. You're thinking, oh, this can't be me. And brothers and sisters, we have a limited time, and limited energies, and limited money, and limited resources. What's the best use of my resources for the glory of God? Could ask that question. Number five. Anyone writing these down? Number five. Will it cause division in the local assembly? You see, once you start getting involved in politics you'll find that there are very good Christians who vote for another party. Not, you, not the party you think's right. Uh, and uh, I don't know if there are any Americans here, but I know that in America this has become a, a major issue. Because there are Christians who are, who are die-hard Republicans, and there are Christians who are die-hard Democrats. And, and, and brothers and sisters, there is nothing so important that I'm willing to sacrifice the unity of the assembly over. Nothing. And so I asked myself, I just read them out, will it involve the unequal yoke? Is the final goal spiritual, scriptural? Will it distract from evangelism? Is it good stewardship? Will it cause division? Number six, will it help or hinder the gospel? If I, if I, if I stick a poster in my window or stick a poster on the back of my car that I'm an activist in a certain political matter I am automatically cutting off the ears of half of the people that live around me we were hearing about getting close to people getting near to people I'll tell you this, if you get involved in politics you're going to make enemies overnight one thing I've noticed about our society, now I'm sure you have as well how polarised people are they've got an opinion on everything and uh, whether it's Brexit or, or whatever it is. And I'll tell you this, if you start being active and are known to be active in any political party, in any political uh, way, for any political cause, you're going to struggle to reach people who don't vote that way with the gospel. It's going to hinder the gospel. It's not going to help the gospel. Number seven. We got there at last. Is it compatible with the dispensation in which we live? Well, we've, we've touched on this already. Um, my, my view would be that it's not. Now, having said all that, um, if you have an opportunity to stand for righteousness and you can still answer in, in, a, in the affirmative to all these questions, if you have an opportunity to, to register your stand for righteous things and righteous living, then I think you're free to take that stance. I think you're free to take that opportunity. Uh, I, I'm not a parent, but I can only imagine if you're sending your children to a school that is teaching the, the trans ideology at the moment. I, I'll tell you this. Um, 
it's all very well saying don't get involved and, and don't, don't register your vote, don't register your protest. If you can fulfill, I, I suggest to you, I suggest, if you can fulfill these guidelines and can answer that yes, this is all for the glory of God and can take a stand to, to, to stop the rot in a local way affecting your family, affecting your community, by all means do that. But be very, very careful. Be very, very careful. Our relationship with the state. First of all, we have a duty, a duty of submission, a duty of support, a duty of supplication. There are times when we must disobey the state. And our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world have been called upon to do that very thing and have suffered as a result. And if you are tempted in this grey area to get involved in issue politics, uh, in social activism, social justice. I was down in London recently, and I was walking around in the centre of London, and I came across this big Baptist church in the centre of London, and they had a, a nice board outside, all what they stood for. The first thing on the list was social justice. I thought, oh dear me. The first thing on the list is social justice. Brothers and sisters, if social justice is on the, is on the list at all, it should be right at the bottom, I think, in a very small print. That's my view. You might disagree with me. But I believe that if you apply these biblical principles, God will guide you. And remember this, that in all your relationship with the state, in all your, your interaction with civil authority, you're representing Christ. I just want to finish on this note. I, I want you to think about this. I'm not going to go through it today. I want you to think about how the Saviour reacted and interacted with the political powers in his day how he lived among them how he spoke about them what he did and I think we have there of course the supreme example may the Lord help us I think that uh, these, event, these subjects perhaps are a bit dull and I apologise if that's the case but I believe these subjects are going to become more and more relevant as we go forward into this new year <clears throat>